Good morning. Welcome and greetings to each one of you that are here this morning, especially the visitors. We are grateful for everyone that's here this morning. Thank you for blessing your presence, us with your presence here this morning. I appreciated that song, that song, especially along the theme that that David Brenneman had in the devotional. That song brought a lot of memories back. I don't know how many years ago it is now where our family left for York City to live there for several years, and that was one of the songs that the congregation sang when they sent us off. And we sing that, that we are going to work till Jesus comes. You know, sometimes we just get tired and we don't feel like it. But I trust we're all committed. We're going to continue to work till He comes. Well, this morning, maybe I should first of all thank you for uh, those of you that have prayed for me this week with the gouge that I had across the top of my head. Some of you probably don't know about it. I'm not going to go into details, but I ended up getting my head, maybe I should say ripped open a bit. And um, the doctor sent me home after was it 17 staples and some stitches and, and said I should take, I can take three painkillers in the morning and three in the evening that I'm certainly going to, I'm going to have a lot of pain. But I came home and I took some pills and that was the last I took. Surprisingly, I'm feeling pretty good. Other than it's going from being sore to being itchy. So if you see me scratching this morning, it could have to do with the itch that's up there. I don't think I have lice. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to grab a songbook here. I have, uh, appreciated what was shared so far this morning. And I will say this, what I have to share this morning is going to be of the motivational nature, similar to what David Brennan shared, and some of what I'm going to be sharing this morning a lot largely has to do, or maybe I should say it this way, the title that I came up with, the title came from an outflow of my heart with what I feel God has been doing in my heart, especially over last week. Now, David Brennan shared in the devotional this morning that... that uh, we had David Robertson's messages and how he ended on the note of our, I don't know if he said it this way, but I remember it was our responsibility uh, as far as God working in our congregation and for the, the um, responsibility that the Lord Jesus left with us to uh, the Great Commission. Uh, that's what I remember of the last of his messages. And then we had a week later, which was last Sunday night, we had Ross Ulrich with somewhat of a similar message. And the only difference between Dave Brenneman and I is my wife and I, as well as John and Beverly, uh, between those two messages, we heard 24 other messages. Um, because we were at SMBI for a week, and I just shared maybe a little bit, not planning on sharing a lot about that, but some of that is going, some of what I'll share this morning is going to be an outflow of that. Caleb, I thank you for picking the song that you picked this morning. I'm just going to read what we read in those two verses. Tender love of Jesus, so lovely and so pure, flowing through this vessel to strengthen, fill, and cure all the doubt and turmoil that's caused by sin and shame, making me a witness of His most holy name. Through the passing ages, flowing down this, through the passing ages, flowed down this love divine, lighting men and women, lighting men and angels, and causing them to shine. With heavenly radiance, His glory from above, shining, shining of His Spirit, the holy light of love. You know, I don't want to be unrealistic this morning. I want to be real. And I know we're all real. And I know we all face real battles. And maybe I'm doing this all backwards. Maybe I'm, I'm giving you the conclusion of how I think we should be before I share what I'm going to share. 
But you know, I really believe if we as God's children would understand the kingdom of God, and if we would understand the purposes of God, and if we would understand and, and let it really grip our hearts, God's purpose and His plan for us here as a church, if we would understand the beauty of the gospel and its power to transform lives, its power to make disciples, if we would understand all of that, and then we think of the Great Commission, we think of the oneness that we ought to have with Christ, and we think of the great responsibility of propagating the faith. If we would really understand that, and it would really grip our hearts, I think we ought to be the kind of people just jumping at the bit, ready to go. Uh, excited about what God can do and will do in the hearts of mankind. Now, that's the end. Um, and I realize we're all real people. We all fight real battles. I realize we war against the flesh and all those kind of things. I'll give you my title now. And this is what I felt that God worked in my heart over the uh, course of the week there at SMBI, as well as David Robertson's messages and as well as last Sunday night's message. And the title is Finding Purpose in Life. Finding Purpose in Life. You know, sometimes we just kind of, that purpose in life kind of dwindles and life becomes a bit mundane and routine. Any of you experience that? That happens. And I just really felt that God encouraged my heart through the course of last week to find purpose in life. Or, 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 or to, yeah, finding that purpose in life. Finding that purpose in life. So I'd like to uh, share with you a little bit this morning some motivational thoughts I trust. You know, there's a lot of different things that motivate us in life. Our work motivates us, our homes, you know, people, a lot of things that aren't all bad. But I think this morning that God's, as God's children, I think we ought to be the most, some of the most motivated people there is on earth. You know, a lot of people get motivated by business, by a lot of those kind of things. But I think as God's children, we really ought to be motivated with the purpose and reason why we're here. You know, this morning, I'm not trying to attack anybody that is of the more laid-back nature. I'm really not doing that. I'm not trying to say we ought to be all be those go-getters out there. But I would like all of us to be encouraged that God has a plan and a spot to fill in each one of our lives to be a motivated person. Whether we're a laid-back personality or whether one of those go-getter kind of people that's out there getting themselves in trouble too much. We ought to be a motivated people this morning. Now, I'd like to share just a little bit of what our week did consist of. I, know, I don't remember what all John shared or what he didn't share. But the, the three different subjects that were looked at last week was uh, value orders was separated unto God in the beauty of holiness. And I'm sorry if I'm repeating if John went over some of those things last week. I don't remember or not. But God, the, the whole idea of that thing that I felt God impressing in my heart is the separated people of God is a beautiful thing. And in fact, he even began by going back into the Old Testament and, and showing us and convincing us that even back in the Old Testament, God's idea of the separated people, God's people, was a beautiful thing. And down through the ages, a separated people, called out body of Christ, is a beautiful thing. 
First Peter two nine. It's a familiar that's a verse that's familiar to us, but we can turn there. First Peter, I think it is two nine. Some of you could probably quote it. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God's intent. And the chapter before talks about perilous times. It talks about you know that you know how First uh, Peter is a Second Peter. No, I'm talking. I'm in Timothy now. Talks about perilous times, and you know I believe that's the day and age that we live in, and I believe God is looking to call out this peculiar people. We may have heard that over the time when David Robertson was there. I'm not sure. One of the things that Val Yoder has done in sharing his messages, he went back into. He, he, he went back, I don't know how many years he went back into one of the uh, common Bible schools, and I'm not even sure what it is, a Mennonite Bible school, and showed how the drift took place over the years and where that Bible school is today and how disheartening it is. How one day, what they stood for, they were a peculiar people. And not, not that I'm just lifting up the idea this morning of separation, but they truly were a separate people and where that thing has drifted to and where it is today. Somehow what he was impressing on, on our hearts is how we have drifted away from something beautiful that God has designed for his holy people in the generation that we live in. That was Val and then uh, James Yoder talked about the pastor and his relationships and he brought it out into, he brought it out into how relationships, not only relationships as it relates to uh, pastors pastoring a congregation, but how relationships with our children, relationships with our spouses, relationships in the workplace, and, and all those kind of things as it deals with relationships. He talked about uh, separating the urgent from the important. And that was a very encouraging sessions that he had there. And then the other one was Merle Burkholder. He talked about kingdom theology and lifestyle. And I enjoyed that very much, and I found that very, cha- very challenging. How does what I believe relate to my lifestyle? Is a question I felt God asking me throughout his sessions. How does what I believe... You know, we talk about kingdom theology. We talk about the kingdom of God, and we came through that series of David Robertson, hearing all about that. And I think that's a question... A good question that we all need to ask ourselves, how does that kingdom theology and the teachings of Christ, how does that relate to my lifestyle? You know, it's very easy to say that we embrace kingdom theology. But in lifestyle and our practices, do we? Do we really? How do we respond to that? One of the things he did that I thought was very interesting, and I don't remember the percentage, but he, he, he talked about Jesus' teachings. It was either 40 or 60% of all of the Jesus' teachings through the Gospels relate to our finances. I think I heard that from him and not from David Robertson. Is that We didn't hear that two weeks ago. I don't think we did. In fact, one of the sessions, what he did was he broke it down in, in rows and we went through the entire book of Luke and each row had to stand up and share what they saw in that chapter that related to finances. And it's amazing. If you want to do something interesting sometime, he, we just used the book of Luke. I'm not sure if Luke has more than some of the other Gospels. How much of Luke is... Related to our finances, it's pretty amazing. Kingdom theology and lifestyle, how that relates to what we do with our pocketbook. I found that very challenging. And it was also very encouraging and very motivating for me. A sold-out, devoted life to Christ is the only way. Purpose in life, are you finding it? You know, I'm convinced, as I said before, that that's the heart of God today for his children, that we would have that kind of purpose in life. We are the called out people of God. 
that are living in the generation that we're living in today to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's us today. You know, I think if we really got a hold of that and we really got a hold of the purposes that God has for us, it would change us. I think it would change the posture of heart we come to church on a Sunday morning. I think it would probably even change the tenor of our singing a bit. Do you think it would? I think it would. And I'm not trying to be somewhat unrealistic here. I know what we're all affected with. I am, I am too. But I think sometimes we just need a little bit of a push and a motivation in the purpose and the plan that God has for His children. I really believe that this morning. Are we finding purpose in the everyday life's challenges? You know, this morning, you might think that, okay, yeah, he's on the mission committee and he knows we have a need over there in Africa and he knows that we have a ministry in Lebanon and we have a ministry in Pottsville. This somehow to motivate you that we need to be sending people out. And we do. We really do. I really believe that we need to be looking to God. That's one aspect of, I think, what we need to be motivated into where we find ourselves saying, God, what would you have me do with my life? That's what I found myself saying as we were relating to all that kingdom theology and lifestyle, especially, God, what would you have me do with my life? You know, I really believe that we do need that. I believe also we need to find purposeful living as it relates to the mundane things in everyday life, as it relates to the challenges that come our way uh, in the home, mothers in the home, or us in the workplace, when things go like they did for us, not yesterday, the day before on Friday, when when I had my, my head injury the day before and I was, um, Brent went with me on the truck because I wasn't sure how well I'd be feeling and we were in a hurry to get back and we had a little bit of time where, where Brent was going to uh, clean the truck up after it was done, wash it out and all that. And my wife had to get in the van and go down to take Jared down to the doctor and we had just enough time to get that done. And come back so that we could be at couples night on Friday night. And my wife calls, says, I'm on the way here in the van. And the thing is jerking and carrying on. And it just doesn't want to go. And I figure, well, yeah, I know it's an old van. Everything will be all right. Just keep on coming. She pulled in to pick me up. And I went out and, and jumped in the van. And I put it in gear. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I looked out. And there was a big puddle of transmission oil underneath the van. <sighs> okay, we got the skid loader and pushed that thing off to the side. And Janita was there in the car. I said, well, let's, we, we were already running late. So let's jump in Janita's car. She'll take us up to get our other van and we'll go on our merry way. Jump in the van and she turns the ignition and the car wouldn't start. You know, and those, those kind of things happen. And, and you know, after, life can just become that way. And, you know, sometimes I think we just need to find God's purpose in life, how we relate to the regular stressful things of everyday living. In case you're wondering the end of the story, I found there was a hose off in the van yesterday. I went down to fix the old thing up. wasn't sure if I was going to push it to Hagee's junkyard or if I was going to try to fix it up. Went went wrong. And sure enough, there was a hose pulled apart and the transmission oil all ran out. Put it in and sure enough, the thing ran. But, you know, those kind of everyday things, we do need to find purpose in life. We need to find purpose in life. But also, I think we need to look beyond that. I'm thinking especially as young people, you know, we need to find purpose in life as it relates to our congregation, as it does relate to mission, as it does relate to ministries, as it relates to holiness, as it relates to being a separate people of God, the Great Commission and all that. You know, how we respond, each of us individually. Now, I'm not trying to take away what Dave was saying. I really believe in what David Robertson, I thought we had some excellent messages as the body working together. But, you know, in all reality... 
the way you and I relate personally to finding that purpose with God will largely determine where our congregation is at in 10 and 15 and 20 years down the road. What each one of us does personally. You know, I know I shared this a little bit in the devotional last Sunday at, at uh, Harmony, but you know, it really boils down to how we respond personally to the personal call that God has on each one of our lives as it relates to those important subjects. And as it relates to the subject that we heard on holiness, as it relates to how we relate to personal relationships, and as it relates to how we relate to kingdom theology, how we relate to our lifestyles, what each one of us does personally in our own personal lives will determine what we are. If we'll just be a dead conservative church that is putting all our energy into keeping the world out. You know, that is a very important aspect of holiness. But if we have that without the without being coupled with the call that God has on our life of the responsibility to a lost and dying world and glorying in the, the marvelous salvation that can transform form lives and make disciples, if all we have is that other without this, we're going to be very lopsided. Ten and twenty years. And our children are going to look at us and say, that's not what I want. And they'll go find it in the world. That was one of the thrusts that I think Val Yoder had about being a separate holy people. Oh, I just, I, I pray that God would motivate us as a congregation and we would take that responsibility serious as well as what we heard last Sunday night with Ross Ulrich. You know, he says, I understand we have a mission in Lebanon. Is there any families that live there? That was a challenge that came our way. And I think we ought to take that challenge to God and say, God, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for our church? I really believe we should do that. I don't want to set too high ideals here this morning, but I do believe that each one of us needs to find the purpose in life that God has for us. Merle Burkholder is, I don't know a lot. I used to know Merle better than I did when I circulated in those circles years ago, but I, and I didn't get to talk to him much personally while we were there last week, but I think he continues to be a missionary up in Canada somewhere to a native group up there uh, of Canadians. And, and I have really appreciated uh, what he had to share. You know, he said, he talked about, he told a lot of stories. He told a lot of stories that really encouraged me. You know, the Christian life ought to be an exciting life. He spent, I don't know how much time he spent in Haiti and in various parts of the world. Amazing stories how God came through. And you know, he said, young people of our day think they have to strap some sort of boards on their feet and go up to a high mountain and go on these boards down over the mountain to find thrill in life. And he said, when they do that for a day and the day's over, they come home and it's all over. It's all done. The only thing they need the next time is a bigger mountain because it didn't quite fulfill like a bigger mountain would. And then he shared a lot of stories about the, the blessing of God just coming through. Um, all kinds of things like that. And, and I thought, amen, that's right. And, you know, that's, that's the way the Christian life ought to be. Uh, finding fulfillment in the things of God. You know... How many, how many of you have ever impacted a soul for eternity? Hands should go up everywhere. We, we impact souls for eternity. Isn't a blessing at the end of a day when your day's over where you know you ministered to a struggling soul somewhere and the fulfillment that comes with that ought to be a motivation for us. What really is the Christian life about? Who knows what James 1.27 says? Can anybody quote James 1.27? It talks about pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. 
That's right. Visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, that is an interesting verse right there. That, that's the whole thing summarized up in a nutshell. Keep ourselves unspotted from the world and have a heart and a passion that beats after the souls of men. Is that not it? The needy souls of men. The fatherless and the widows, they're needy people. We meet needy people day after day. I guess one of the things that really encouraged me that I felt God really impressing on my heart is to let go. You know, none of us like the picture of a selfish little child, and we all see it. Sometimes we see it in our own little children. They're just selfish and they're possessive about their little toys. You ever see a child that he gets some visitors come to his house and he gathers all his little toys together and they're his, they're mine. You know, sometimes we're just a little bit too much like that child in our spiritual lives. We just we, we keep it to ourselves rather than just letting go of our life. Letting go of our life. You know, my mind went back to many years ago when we moved to York City and I still remember... My wife's parents and my parents going with us and we're driving in through the slums of the town where we're going to live. And it was the middle of the summer and it was somewhat of a horrific, I'm not going to say horrific sight, but it was, I don't know what was going on in our parents' mind. Oh, no, my children, what are they doing? And they may have had some reason to think that. I think they probably did. We were on that side and I look at the many yeah, difficult challenges at the many interesting life's lessons that God taught us by being there for a number of years. Whether we should have stayed long or whether God will call us somewhere like that again, I don't know. I trust we can hear His voice and be, you know, we sing He is Lord, right? However, there we were. Now I find myself a bit on this side. Now the tables have turned. Now I'm the dad. Now I have children. Where do we... No. No, uh, we want our children around us. We want our children to enjoy. Are, are we willing to let them go? Are we willing to let them go? Are we willing to pray that God would use them in amazing ways? And, you know, Merle shared many of the interesting life stories uh, in Haiti and various places. And, you know, I found myself saying, yeah, that's right. We, we need to raise our families to let them go, to let them go, to send them out. You know, if all we're doing is trying to encourage this kingdom theology and separate from the world, and we're just huddling us all around here and not going like that. We're going to be lopsided and we'll be lopsided. And I trust this morning that we can, we can let go. I would like now to look at... I found it interesting what, what Dave shared versus what I'm sharing here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. You know, he said that when Jesus... I think it was Jesus that he, that he said. I'm not sure if it was in, in John 17 there where he said, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Jesus was nearing the end of his race. He finished the work that God gave him to do. You know, there was another man that got to the end of his life and had the similar words, and that is Paul here. And I'd like to draw, at least draw uh, some this morning in the message from this scripture here in Second Timothy chapter 4. And I know it's a familiar uh, passage of scripture to us, but I would like to do some drawing from this as we consider this subject. Maybe I'll just relate to you another thing that Merle had shared just to give us some encouragement to sell out to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would have for us. He had shared that up there in the Indian Reserve, 
there was a uh, there was a man I, I don't remember how many years twenty thirty or forty years that he spent reaching out to the people up there in that community and he was nearing the end of his life I think he had cancer or terminal illness and he knew he was dying and he helped his children plan his own funeral he helped he was helping his children plan his own funeral <clears throat> and he said to his children. Let's just not have a big ado. Let's just, you know, when I die, just have somewhat of whatever funeral and it'll be all over. And the natives, <clears throat> I don't remember how the whole story went, but wouldn't have anything to do with it. Anyway, they ended up, they ended up having a, a service at various places up there in that remote Aryan community. And it was amazing the many, 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 many lives that this man impacted for the gospel of Jesus Christ because he lived a yielded, surrendered life to Christ. Now, I'll say this. One of the things that I have really appreciated through the course of last week with Merle's teachings, you know, sometimes missionaries tend to be a little lopsided just like me and you and I probably sometimes. They tend to make you feel like unless you're a missionary, you're just not meeting up to it. Unless you're out there doing great and big and mighty things for God, you're you're just not. And, you know, I, I really appreciated Merle found a lot of room in his heart in those meetings even to bless the businessmen. He said, even though I spent many, many years, most of his life on the mission field, it was because of businessmen that had supported him that enabled him to do what he did. I was going to say this later on, but maybe I'll say it now. You know, many times when we think of being called, Kimberly's going to Tanzania, I thought about her, but many times when you know, we, we, we talk on real spiritual terms when it comes to going to the mission field. Do, do you feel the call? Do you sense the call? And I believe in order for somebody to go to the mission field, they ought to experience a call of some sort or the other. But you know, there's another aspect of it. Are you called to stay? When Jesus gave the commission to go, and we say, well, I'm not sure that I'm called. Well, you know, if he said go, maybe we ought to feel the similar call, or maybe even greater to stay. Maybe we ought to feel the call to stay and be a businessman so that we can and have that kingdom theology so that I can, in my business, if it prospers and makes a lot of money, so that I can send them to go. You know, that's really, I think, the right way of looking at this whole kingdom theology thing, is it not? So I'm not trying to say that unless we're out there doing the big Merle Burkholder things or the big Timothy Zeiset things, but I really believe it's God's will that we find the purpose in life Whatever God has for us, whether we're called to stay or whether we're called to go. All right, now I think you're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, For I am now ready to be offered. This is Paul. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So here we have Paul. He's nearing the end of his life. And he's doing some reflecting. And he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. And he kept the faith. And because of that, there's laid up a crown of righteousness for him. And not for him only, but for all those that love his appearing. Paul finished his course. You know, course here, another word for course is simply career. If you look at the Greek word for course, it's simply, the career, it's simply career. It was the 
path that God put him on, I believe, when he was on that Damascus road. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I think Paul at that time began a course, and that course continued to take him and take him and take him. And now as he's ending his life, as his life is drawing to a close, he looks back and recognizes that he has and is finishing his course. I was out with one of the children. Is that right? Amen. Amen. You know, I really believe, and I know I've said this here before, but I believe there's overcoming strength and overcoming power in sharing the word of our testimony. You know, it's so easy to become a self-centered people. But Paul here finished his course. You know, someday that's going to be you and I. Someday that's going to be you and I. Outside of Christ's return or some sort of a tragedy where we'll probably lay there and we'll reflect back over our life. And I wonder how many of us will have regret. Paul was nearing the end of his course and he looked back with joy. Now, you know, this morning I even thought and hesitated a little bit about thinking about the Apostle Paul because, you know, we look at Paul. He was an amazing man. And if we try to look at Paul, we're all going to be intimidated, right? But, you know, I think the same thing that burned in the heart of Paul needs to burn in our own hearts that motivate us to do the work of God and follow God's plan for my life and your life, whatever that is. I really believe that. And I would like to look. I would like to look a little bit at Acts chapter 9 of where God arrested Paul, I think I already referred to the phrase that I'm looking for, but I'd just like to turn there and look at it again in Acts chapter 9 and read a few verses there just to give us some encouragement. It says here that Saul was yet breathing out threatenings of slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, desiring of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any in this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise, go into the city that is called Straight, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul rose from the earth. When his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus and was there three days without sight, neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias and said to him and said and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. I think I'll leave off reading there for sake of time, but it goes on to say that he went from there and preached the gospel. But what I'd like for us to consider is right there in verse 6, I believe, which ought to be the cry that come from each one of our hearts in order to be motivated with the same passion that motivated the Apostle Paul when he looked up into the face of Jesus and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
Is that a passion that burns on each one of our hearts as we think of our future, as we think of our calling, we think of our lot in life, whatever it is? I think that ought to be a a burning thing that burns on our hearts. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And you know, not only as we think of the great and big and mighty things when we look at it that way, at least out there, you know, the, the great calling that God could have for us, but you know, as it relates to the mundane things in life or the challenges that I shared with you came to us the other day when things break. You know, I think it's right. God knows all those things. God knows all the details. God knows the things that we struggle with. God knows about our discouragement. God knows about our personal failure. God knows about our responsibilities at times that seem overwhelming. God knows when we feel like we can't handle anymore. God knows all of that. He knows about the struggle that we go through, maybe in our own homes and as it relates to our own children, as it relates to uh, disappointments, as it relates to all those things. I think we need to have that heart that our brother Paul had when he looked into the face of Jesus and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What wilt thou have me to do? When was the last time you asked that question? You know, when we meet a soul that we know is struggling and we're busy and we have things to do, we have places to go, we have appointments to meet. You know, as I shared with you earlier, one of the things that James Yoder really encouraged us, and that is knowing how to separate the urgent from the important. We have many urgent things that are thrown into our lap and into our face every day. And many times we go after those things at the expense of the most important. And I think we need to learn how to look into the face of Jesus and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So you're treated in some unfair way from a brother or some difficulty comes your way. Lord, what would you have me to do? How shall I respond to this situation? Somebody overhauls you, rakes you across the coals. Lord, what will you have me to do? A brother, Ross Ulrich, stands up in our congregation, challenges us that why don't we have a family living in Lebanon City? What's your response? Oh, not me. No way. Uh, Earl and his family, you know? Or, I realize we need to be realistic. There's all kinds of things to take into consideration. But Lord, what would you have me to do? There's a need in the local church, whatever it might be. Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, the Lord gives us a burden for our neighbor. Lord, what, what, what should we do about this? What should we do about this? Allow God to lead us. You know, I heard a quote the other day that really blessed me. The quote says, I rarely pray more than five minutes at a time, but rarely does five minutes go by that I don't pray. And I thought of that quote when I thought of Paul. Lord, what will you have me to do? You know, that ought to be a phrase that ought to burn on our hearts throughout our day as we face the daily challenges, ought it not? I think it ought to be the cry of every sincere Christian. You know, really, we often look at Paul. He was quite a man. You know, he was, he was, he was killing the Christians and, and all those things he was doing. And, and yeah, he had a radical transformation but, you know, in all reality, we can summarize it down to Paul was simply a man like you and I going our own way. And Paul needed the grace and mercy and the toning blood of Christ just like you and I do and did. He just had a transformed life and his priorities changed. And it was, Lord, what will you have me to do? Here we are as a congregation. Lord, what would you have us to do? 
You know, one of the things God didn't do, God God didn't come to Paul and just map his life out. Okay, Paul, now that you're crying, what will you have me to do? I'm going to have you do this, do this, and, and you're going to, and all these kind of things. No. Paul lived a life of faith, a life of trusting God, a life of committing each and every situation that came his way to God. And he said in Acts 20, 24, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. That was Paul's testimony. All right, I'd like to look at another phrase there that comes right out of that same verse. It says, Paul kept the faith. Paul says, I have kept the faith. Does that simply mean he kept his profession? He kept his profession. Is that what that means? Paul kept his profession to the end of his life. Well, I think he kept his profession, but I'm convinced it had a whole lot more to do. I think Paul kept his faith. He kept his eye on the Lord Jesus. I believe he kept his his commitment. He knew his calling. He knew his responsibility. And I believe he ran with all his might throughout his days until he got to his end. I really believe he did. Let's look at uh, let's look at Revelation three briefly. Just in consideration of Paul keeping the faith to the end. Revelation three here is the church. It's called the Loyal Church, the Church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3, verse 7 and on. I'll read here a little bit. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word. And has not denied my name. They were a church that kept his word and didn't deny his name. Behold, I will make of them of the, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I make them, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I don't know what it all means here when when he says he'll keep them from the hour of temptation. But it was those that kept the word of his patient. I think we need to be those that... I know we need to be those that keep the faith and that we continue on. And there's a special keeping power, I believe, here for those that keep the faith. And I know we need to keep the faith as it relates to our vision, as it relates to our purpose, and as it relates to our calling. You know, I think it's good for us to just allow our hearts to be challenged sometimes. And I'd just like to do a little bit of reflecting. And I'm not doing this reflecting because I am looking at you. Where are we? Maybe I am. But I'm challenging myself just like I am you. You know, sometimes we find ourselves getting a little negative about if you want to call it our movement, charity, you know, remnant movement. It was a thriving movement at a time. And, you know, where we currently find ourselves, we get a little bit negative And we, you know, where we are and, and, and we look back and we begin to wonder. But, you know, I think it's good for us here this morning to raise the question. 
I look back in my life 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm not even sure when. You know, I was influenced by what was happening over there, even though we weren't part of it. You know, there was great things happening. When, when we came to the light, many of us got converted through tent meetings there and through the beginning stages of the Ruawa movement where I believe God was there, God was in it. We had high standards. We... We sacrificed a lot of our own selfish desires for our families, did we not? We did. God was working in our hearts. We, we held the world at arm's length pretty severely, didn't we? God was really working and we, we had a love for God. We had a love for the people of God. We had a love for what God was doing in our hearts. We prayed a lot that God would spare our families. We prayed a lot that God would spare us from the worldly church, if you want to call it that. I can suggest we, we thought about a lot about Romans 12, 1 and 2, didn't we? Committing our lives, yielding our lives, a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, the transforming power of Christ. We sacrificed financially to raise a generation that hated the world, did we not? That was burning on our hearts, those things. Those things were burning on our hearts. We, uh, we were pretty uh, serious about not succumbing to the pressures that the world puts on us to conform to its image. Those things were part of our lives. We had a vision for missions. You know, I think it's good for us this morning to raise the question in our minds, are we keeping the faith? Now, when I'm thinking of the faith here, I'm thinking maybe a little bit more along the line of vision. You know, I believe when, when Paul had that fire burning in his heart, it took him all the way. And he got to the end and he said, I've kept the faith. And this morning, I'm not trying to put any of us on a guilt trip, but rather to encourage us to have that rekindled fire burning in our hearts with the purpose and the plan and the calling and the diligence and everything it takes to continue to propagate the faith as it relates to our families. You know, we have young families coming, that somehow the young families in our congregation would pick up that vision and that burden to raise up godly families that would love the Lord, that we can have that family, that church that has life. Are we keeping the faith this morning? Or are we succumbing to the pressures? You know, I had to think on this side of the church, we're enamored by powerful things, big tractors, big trucks. We're enamored by things that, you know, lots of power and those kind of things. But are we enamored by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it can do in the hearts and the lives of people? That's, I believe, what Paul was talking about here where he says he has kept the faith. As it relates to God's purpose in life, if you will allow me this morning just to talk of about some things that hinder us from having that purpose in our Christian lives. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. You know, this morning, church, and talking to myself, besetting sins hinder us from having purpose in life. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. You know, I think we need to ask the question this morning, am I dragging a load of weight and guilt and sin that hinders me from fulfilling God's purpose and God's plan that He has in my life? And you know, I had to think about that. You know, sin is a hard thing to drag around. Sin is a difficult thing. You know, I think there's a lot of people probably sitting, maybe even sitting right here in our church that would have a lot of goodwill to go out there and fulfill the purpose and the calling and the plan that God would have in your life. But because of weight and sin condemning you, you're crippled this morning. And if that is you, I would encourage you to get urgent before God about those things. You know, I had to think as I was thinking about that weight and sin. This past week, I've, I've been, this is maybe a crude illustration, but bear with me. I've been bothered about how badly my chicken shed needs manure out, okay? It, it, it was bothering me and it was winter time. And as you know, as well as me, we're all getting tired of snow, right? Well, the drifts were pretty big and it was bitter cold and it wasn't getting done. It wasn't getting done. And finally, I had a day where I had some time and it had warmed up enough at home. I thought, you know what, I'm going to take care of this thing once. And I got the wheelbarrow out and took it down to the chicken shed. And as I was going across, I realized, you know what? There is some huge drifts in front of this thing. And I wanted to get it from down there to chicken shed up to our garden boxes. It wasn't that far to go. I thought, well, it shouldn't be too big of a problem. And I thought one wheelbarrow load would do it. Well, I parked the wheelbarrow there and I started shoveling. And after a while, I didn't have it quite done and the wheelbarrow was full. And I went out and I got a hold of that thing and I started going backwards and I hit the first drift, and I, and I had to be careful. I'd get that thing to move about six or seven inches, and if I wasn't careful, I'd slide and, snow on the, and fall on the snowbank myself. And I didn't go any further from here than to the back wall back there, or maybe the, the way back door, till I was at the garden boxes, and it probably took me 10 or 15 minutes just to get it there because of all the snow where, had it not been for the snow, I'd have had it there in less than a minute, and I'd have had the you know, the job done, and I'd be back getting the second ones. Well, all that kind of huffing and puffing and carrying on and work of getting that thing drugged to where it needed to go, I did probably the same thing that you would have done if it would have been you. When I got that first load done, I said, forget this business. I put the wheelbarrow in the barn, and I left it go. Why did I leave that go? It was because that terrible weight of dragging it across that snow that I couldn't get done. You know, that's just simply how it is when it comes to fulfilling the purpose and the plan that God has for my life. If we're dragging this kind of weight and sin around, what do we do? Just like me, you put the wheelbarrow away. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me to think of fulfilling God's purpose and plan in my life because we got this besetting sin that's condemning us. You follow where I'm going and what I'm saying. You know, this morning, it's staggering. And I, 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 I don't think it's part of us here. But, but I think we have to consider it. I, it it's staggering what statistics tell us, what statistics tell us the amount of males, men, adult boys that are enslaved to pornography in the church is staggering. It's staggering. And I think sometimes, from time to time, we need to remind 
we need to consider those kind of things. And you know, this morning, if that's you, get serious with God. Those are things that you'll, you, we can't prosper in the Christian life if we're enslaved to those things. They beset us and they hold us back and we can never fulfill the purpose. And I, and I believe there's a lot of souls that would love to do work for God. But those things are holding us down. Sin. You know, there's all kinds of other besetting sin that hold us down too. What about the fear of man? Is that something that besets us? That's a little bit more of an ouch subject, is it not? The fear of man. I understand you had a message here the other week. We weren't here about covetousness. That's something that holds us down, holds us back. What about a love for the world? Does that beset us? Does that hinder us from fulfilling the purpose, plan, and calling that God has in our life? I know that it does. You know, I think this morning, if we are finding ourselves set back by besetting things, I think we need to learn to look at those things the way God does. You know, God is holy. Those are things that God cannot accept. Those are things that hinder Him from pouring out His Spirit into our lives when we're enslaved to those things. You know, sometimes I think we're just too passive about sin. We're too passive about getting serious with sin. The Bible says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, I remember, I'm just going to share this for whatever it's worth. Now, I'm talking about where we're too passive about sin, right? I remember years ago, this was early in my experience and walk with the Lord. This was sometime soon after I was converted. I found myself down in Huttonsville when we used to go down there to prison ministry. I don't know if Warren was along this particular time or not. Probably not. I think it was the first time I was down there. And we were having one of those prayer meetings before we went into prison. And there was an older brother whom I have respected then and I still greatly respect to meet today. He's a man that probably most of you don't know. You know, we were in this prayer meeting and he was an older man that I looked up to. It wasn't Raymond Burkholder, somebody you don't know. He looked at the brothers. He said, brothers, I want you all to know that I have a problem in life. He said, I have this moral issue that I've been struggling with. I don't know if he said for months, weeks, years, whatever it is. And he said, brothers, I want you to know I am tired of this thing. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to hit the altar here and pour my heart out to God. And he says, brothers, Will you please gather around me and pray for me? I, I, I want to be through with this thing. I want to be through with this thing. And that thing stuck out to me. That stuck out to me. That memory went with me. And I appreciate that brother today. I'm guessing he found freedom and is walking with the Lord. In fact, I'll go a little bit further. I had the same problem. And God began working on my heart. And I did the same thing. I said, brothers, that's me. And I found victory. And I say that all to the honor and glory of God. But I really believe what I'm really getting at is we need to get serious. If we're going to ever fulfill the purpose and the calling and the plan that God has in my life, whether we are here, whether we are out there, wherever we are, I think we need to get serious as it relates to sin, as it relates to sin that sets us back. So I just share that for whatever it's worth. I think we need to have a sense of urgency and a sense of I can't handle this thing. This thing is binding me this thing is this thing is 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 it's i i'm trapped i'm enslaved i need help and break our hearts before god that's what i'm really getting at back to second 
Timothy again, chapter 4. If I could go back there a little bit again. And I'm just going to read on another verse. As Paul was doing his considering here, I'd like to just mention, the, I'm going to call it the Demas Syndrome. He says, Do thy diligence to come unto me shortly. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Just another story that Merle had shared with us that, that again was just something that God just impressed on my heart to give me a burden for finding purpose in life. He had shared how, as I said, he had numerous stories to share how he had spent there in, uh, in Haiti. And then he shared the story. He said that years ago when they returned to Haiti, they were back in Canada. He shared the story how there was a friend of his and his wife that wanted to see the slides and the pictures of their experience in Haiti. And, uh, and, he, and, and their friends, whoever they were, said, uh, why don't you come on over to our, uh, to our uh, cottage, whatever it was, Lakeside Cottage, Lakeside, there's another word for it. And he said it was a bit difficult to find, so the man said, rather than me having to give you directions, we're just going to meet out along this more main road and you follow me in. He said, just drive down this road and you'll see us parked along the road in, in, his, in his Jaguar. And... Uh, so Merle said they went down the road, and sure enough, there he was. And he said they're following his friend back through all these roads, winding back to this lakeside cottage. And he said as he was driving along, he got to thinking, boy, I wonder what it would be like to be driving that Jaguar. I wonder what that would be like. Boy, that's a nice car. And he said they drove back, and they came to this lakeside cottage, and he said he pulled into it, and he got to thinking, you know, I'm just really missing it life. This, this, man's, this man's lakeside cottage is a whole lot more elaborate even than my house is. And he said he's starting to have a little bit of a pity party for himself. And he said he got out of his car to walk into this guy's lakeside cottage and he walks past the Jaguar and he's thinking, boy, what it would be like to drive that thing. And he said he walked into the house and his friend said, you know, uh, my wife doesn't quite have dinner yet ready, ready yet. He said, if your children want to just enjoy the jacuzzi out there in the back deck. And he said, we'll go out and we'll do some sailing on the lake while my wife is finishing dinner. And then after dinner's ready, we'll come in and and Merle said he got to thinking, hmm, I don't even have a jacuzzi in my house. And this guy's got one here at his lakeside. And he said his pity party for himself was kind of growing. And uh, down to the lake they go and they get in the boat and they're sailing out through. And he said they cruised around the lake, whatever they did. He said then they came in and they're sitting down at the table and they're eating their dinner and they're eating steaks and baked potatoes and what all. And he said he got to thinking, boy, you know, poor missionary me, I can't even afford steaks. i got to go to this rich man's house in order to be able to enjoy a steak. And he said he's just really starting to kind of, you know, life is kind of bad. He's having one of those days. And he said after that was all over, they went into the uh, side room and they began showing slides of their experience in Haiti. And he said somewhere through the slides, if I remember how he told the story correctly, his friend and his wife, his friend just stopped the slide presentation right there in the middle. And the man said to his wife, what's wrong with us? What, what do we really have to show? When we get to the end of life, look at Merle. Look at all the many lives that he has had the ability to impact. And all we have is this. All we have is this. Merle said his heart began to smite him. You know, there's a message there for us, isn't it? When we get to the end of life, what are we going to look back? What is really going to be valuable to us? What is really going to be valued to us? Are we going to fight the good fight of faith? You know, I was going to turn to Ephesians 6. I need to keep going here. Maybe we ought to turn there. 
You know, if we're going to fight the good fight of faith, there is some things in our life that are going to have to be there, if I may suggest it that way. And we're all familiar with this scripture. Maybe I'll just read over it briefly and, and refer to some of the things. Um, verse 12 and following. Ephesians 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, which is the sword of the... Take the shield of faith, with wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication with thank prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'll leave off reading there, but <clears throat> I'd like to suggest to us this morning that if we are going to keep the faith, and if we're going to keep the faith that the Apostle Paul had, these things, as it relates to the whole armor, must be a part of our Christian experience if we're going to keep the faith. They must be a part of our experience. Truth, the breastplate of righteousness, which is right and holy living, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, carrying the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith and having the helmet of salvation, a clear conversion, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always. You know, those are things that need to be very much a part of our life. And, you know, just as it relates to this whole subject of fighting a good fight, you know, I think we have to have it settled in our mind as we, you know, just simply the idea of fighting a good fight indicates some resistance, doesn't it? A life of resistance. And Paul lived that. I really believe that he did. Plan on resistance. Plan on at times feeling like giving up. Do you ever feel like giving up? Plan on it. Those are part of our experience. You know, plan on sometimes we just don't feel like leading out in family devotions because we don't feel like it. And the temptation is there to give up. But Paul kept the faith. You know, as wives, sometimes it's hard to respect our husbands, maybe. Plan on some resistance in those areas. Uh, Plan on resistance sometimes and not feel like being a loving husband. You know, we need a plan on it at times we don't feel like going to prayer meeting, going to revival meetings. Sometimes those of you that are involved in ministry, Lebanon and Pottsville, sometimes you don't feel like it. But we need to learn to fight a good fight of faith and plan on, you know, sometimes when, when, when God wants us to witness to a neighbor or whatever it is. Help us, Lord, help us to learn to fight the good fight of faith. You know... What we wrestle against. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I think God would have something for us to say as it relates to that here in in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 4. That the righteousness, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, many times the things that we're actually fighting against is our own flesh. And Paul said, I die daily. You know, it's that flesh that gets us in trouble. It's that flesh, it's our will 
that we need to learn to fight against. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. For if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We war against this flesh, don't we? We war against this flesh. And we need to learn to keep the faith by crucifying the flesh. Uh, I'd just like to allude to uh, John chapter 21, if you want to turn there. You know, I believe... God would have something to say to us here this morning as it relates to Peter. You know, one of the things that is very easy for us to do is to say one thing and do another. Is it not? As it relates to propagating the faith, say one thing and do another. And I believe Jesus had a message here he was trying to get into Peter's heart. Uh, John 21, verse 15 and following. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he says, Feed my lambs. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And he said unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Do you love me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him again, Feed my sheep. Verily I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest where thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This spake he signify, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following him, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If, thou tar- if, thou- if I will that thou tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Does it not seem here like what Jesus is really trying to get in Peter's heart. You know, Peter said three times, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus is saying to Peter, doesn't it seem like Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, if you really love me, then follow me. You know, Peter, you know, you know God, is, God is looking this morning for a people that will do more than just render lip service. You know, it's easy to sing the songs about how much we love God. But it, when it really comes down to it, what we do with our life as it relates to our lifestyle, as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it relates to holiness and mission and all those kind of things, what we really do with our life is what really says it all. He says, feed my sheep. You know, I think too often, I need to skip over some things. 
I think too often we're a little bit like Peter was here. Let me see if I can find it. Verse 21. Peter seeing him says, Lord, what shall this man do? We do that sometimes, don't we? Well, yeah, but what about this guy? What about this guy? Jesus said unto him, if I tire till I come, okay, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You know, sometimes I think we spend too much time worrying about what others are doing rather than looking into the face of the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What wilt thou have me to do? You know, I think Peter got it. I know Peter got it. He says in verse 18, Verily I say unto you, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whithersoever thou wouldest not. You know, pre-conversion, we do what we want to do. Do we not? But he says here, when thou art old, Peter, another old girthy. And I know it was referring also to his death. But I think it was really referring to totally selling out and yielding our lives to Christ. And another will gird thee. And you know, we need that same power to fulfill the responsibility and find the purpose that God has for us in life. Just like it was for Peter. Next point is, he must be our Lord. He must be our totally Lord. A total change of allegiance. You know, as we talk about, it's easy to say He's Lord. But do we live it? Is our life totally open to Christ this morning? What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And then it concludes and says, ye are not your own. You know, we are really not our own. The, the choice and decision really isn't ours. Now, we do know that God works in the heart of man. God works in our hearts preparing us for what He has. And we know that we need to be realistic when it comes to the future. But you know, we can never forget that we are not our own. If we are sold out disciples of Christ, we make Him our Lord and it's no longer our choice. It's no longer our decision. We need to let that up to God. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. 2 Corinthians 5.15 and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and rose again. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Luke 12.15, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. You know, if we're trying to live... You know what You know what Jesus told Peter when he was on the Damascus Road and he thought he was doing the will of God, he thought he was doing the service of God, he said, Paul, is it not hard to kick against the pricks? And you know, if we're trying to live a double standard life and get as much out of the world and still have enough of Christ, hopefully that our lives will be okay and we can be saved and we can end up going to heaven. You know, if that is our interpretation of the gospel, you know, it's really a frustrating life. And it's like I believe it was for Paul. It's like kicking against the pricks. I don't know. If you kick against a prick and it goes through your shoe, you're going to feel it, are you not? You know, that's a little bit like it is, I believe, when we're living a divided Christian life. 
Another point is we need to get our eyes off of ourselves. Jesus said unto another, Follow thou me. And he said, Suffer me first to go bury my father. You will notice there's a phrase in here that comes up over uh, several times. He says, suffer me first. You know, the me first mentality to be a kingdom Christian, finding the fulfillment and the purpose in life, the me first idea has to go. Jesus said unto him, this is another one, let me, let the dead, okay, this is the same one, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. He said to another, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house. Again, we see the me, the me first mentality. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We must give up. Uh, we must give up. We must go all the way. Is another point that I had. Maybe I'll just go over that real quickly. James 4.4. 4. James 4, 4 is, I think it is, ye adulterous and adulteresses, know ye not that a friendship of this world is enmity with God. You cannot be a friend of this world and of God at the same time. James 4, 4. Ye adulterous and adulteresses, know ye not that a friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of this world is an enemy with God. All right. Well, just a few Concluding thoughts as it relates to this thing with finding purpose in life. You know, one of the things that I would just like on a practical level to conclude as we wind down and thinking, finding purpose in life. You know, all of us deal with insecurities, do we not? We all deal with insecurities. And most of you are probably like myself. You would rather be hid in the shadows somewhere and not be used. You know, the needs of this world are huge. And you know, this morning, I would like to suggest to us, one of the things that the brother had shared, James Yoder, out there at SMBI, he said there's two things that he wants to give his children in life. He said the two things that he wants his children to have as he thinks of parenting and raising children. He said, number one, he wants to give his children wings. No, I'm sorry. Number one, he wants to give them roots. He wants to give his children roots so that they can be rooted and grounded And he said, number two, he wants to give his children wings so that when he turns them loose, they can fly. And what he was referring to is that they can have roots, that they're rooted and grounded, and they're settled in the things of God so that they can raise up into adults and they can be wings and they can be turned loose into the world to impact the world for eternity, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, there was a good... A good, uh, a good thing for us to be considering. Giving in our homes, giving our children those kind of roots. And you know, this morning I would like to suggest to us, especially thinking of the young people now, if you have roots, and if you're a young person that finds yourself through the temptations of the world and you're not, you're not responding to those temptations, you're, you're committed to Christ, you, you're, you're learning to deal with the world. If you're a young person that's under authority, if you're a young person, like I said, that has learned how to deal with the temptations of the world, then I would encourage you to be one of those people that allow yourselves to be put into situations where you can be stretched. Where you can be stretched. Where, where, where you can be stretched into things where God can make you to be usable. 
You know, when you look at me, I don't know what you think, but I, I'm probably a whole lot more of an insecure person than you realize. Uh, I, I grew up as a very, very insecure boy. I really was. And, and I, I know, I don't know what all happened in my life, but I, I know some of the things that happened is over the years I found myself in situations where I was very uncomfortable. And, you know, I think that ought to be part of our experience where we allow ourselves to be stretched. So that we can have wings. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says this. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. You know, the verse there talks about as we therefore have opportunity. Many of us have countless opportunities to serve Christ if we look for them. I would like to suggest that to all of us this morning. That verse says, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, this morning, I I would like to even, you know, it's not just the adults that have opportunity. You know, I'm going to give the girls on this side, first of all, a little bit of a... um, we're thinking now about finding purpose in life, okay? Let's remember the, the subject, the title that I had burning on my heart from the beginning here, okay? We're all looking for, pers- we're looking for purpose and fulfillment in life. And, you know, I believe those things start at a very young age. You know, this, I'm going to give you the girls, okay, girls on this side, if you're age 8, 9, 10, raise your hand. Raise your hand really high. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, raise your hand high. There you go. Young girls on this side. I'm going to give the young girls a little bit of a lesson that I gave my young girls this week, okay? We're talking now about impacting eternity, right? We're talking about impacting eternity. We're talking about what we can do for the kingdom of God, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you what I told my girls. Now, be careful, all of the rest of you that I'm I'm sharing this with, that you don't come to our house and, and look around too much. But this is what I told my girls. This is what I told my girls this week. I said, you know what, girls? You ought to be bothered. Every time you walk past mom's kitchen and breakfast is over and mom is busy, maybe it's with homeschooling, maybe she's on the phone, maybe she's doing whatever she's doing, and you walk past through the kitchen and there you see a, a, a sink full of dirty dishes. Or maybe you see the, the dish rack there and it's got all the dishes on, they're washed, but they're not put away. I said, you ought to be bothered by that. You ought to be bothered because there they are. That's work that you could do, Right? Girls, what do you think? I told my girls that you want... And listen, none of the mothers put me up to this, okay? And my wife didn't even put me up to this. You know, you ought to be bothered if you walk through the kitchen and and the floor's dirty. Um, That ought to bother you. There's an opportunity that I have. I I I I can serve God. You know, that really is serving God. That's learning. That's preparation to be missionary down the road somewhere, to do something for God. It really is. You know, you ought to be bothered if you uh, see there's wash sitting there to be put away and, and your school's done. Your other things are all done, right? And it's playtime. But you see those sitting there. You know, that's responsibility. Those things ought to bother you. You know, that verse says here that if we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. 
I just like to encourage you girls with that. That's something you can do. And you know, it works the same way on this side. You know, young boys that can do things for their dad, you know, they see opportunities and they can serve. You know, it so blesses me when my boys are able to, you know, sometimes I come home. Actually, man, I don't know if I should say this or not. I, I, I was really blessed by one of my boys that he hates driving dirty vehicles. He hates driving dirty vehicles. He hates dirty interiors and cars. Uh, he hates when he has to drive a vehicle with um, with um, a dirty windshield. Hates all those things. The only problem is he got married. But anyhow, when he uses when he used those vehicles, and boy, this got clean. That's really great. But you know, just just the whole idea of looking for opportunities to serve God when you're young is a tremendous blessing, and it's a way that you can prepare for what God has for you. You know, you know what I think personally is one of the you know what I think personally is one of life's greatest lessons that we need to get a hold of? You know, if there's one thing, now I'm sure there's a lot of things, but if there's one overriding thing that I think would be a very important quality that each one of our children would pick up, you know what it is? And us adults too. One overriding, one overriding thing that I think, overriding, I don't know if that's the right word, that I think would be good if each one of us would get a hold of, and that is responsibility. Responsibility is an amazing thing. Just, just something for us to think about. You know, children that learn to be responsible. You know, we talk about besetting sin. Whose responsibility is it? That's our responsibility to take care of that. You know, it's our responsibility. God left us with some tremendous responsibility. And here we have this verse that says, as we have opportunity to do good to all men, especially those who are the household of faith, to be a responsible people. You know, one of the things that I think was Paul's motto in life, he said it this way in Acts. He said, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and man. All right. Well, I need to wind down here. Um, you know, let, let's just consider the promise yet in uh, in that chapter where I started off in Second Timothy chapter four and verse nine. You know, we talked about Paul saying, "I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith." And you know, because of Paul's commitment to those things, because of all that, he says, "Because of that, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only." but to all them that love is appearing. You know, this morning I'm not talking about somehow earning our own salvation. I think you all know my heart. Our conversion, our, our salvation is based, based on the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. But you know, this morning out of that and out of that free heart, out of that forgiveness, when that burden of sin rolls off of us, God has a responsibility. God has a calling for each one of us to fulfill in life. And when we get to the end of the life, you know, we can be, you know, there's two extremes here. One extreme will be we look back and we see all our selfish pursuits. We see, uh, here again, I talked about it earlier, not that business is wrong, but, you know, we can see all those things. We can see a selfish life. We can see what drove us throughout life. Or we can look back and realize that I lived my life sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and for the impacting of souls. And I think that's what, that's, what, that's what Paul was experiencing. He looked back and realized that he's getting to the end of his course and he kept the faith. He kept the faith. And he kept up the fight. And because of that, there was laid up a crown of righteousness. So, how is that going to affect us tomorrow and the days and years to come?
I trust that we can have our hearts encouraged this morning to live a life dedicated and devoted to the cause of Christ.